This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. You guys, how important is sleep temperature? It's everything to me. And this is where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Its mission is to elevate the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. It's designed for one or two sleepers. So if your partner likes to sleep at a different temperature or you only need it for one side of the bed, it still works. I just put this on top of my existing mattress and voila. So whether you're dealing with night sweats or simply seeking a better night's rest, Chili Pad is here to transform your existing mattress into a sanctuary of cool, relief, and comfort. Visit www.sleep.me slash FTL to get your Chili Pad and save up to $315 with code FTL. This offer is exclusively available for the love listeners, only for a limited time. So order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with your sleep trial. So visit www.sleep, that's S-L-E-E-P, dot M-E slash F-T-L, because every woman deserves to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day ahead. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker here. Your host of the For the Love podcast. You guys, welcome to the show. You know, we do a holiday series every year. And the team and I, when we were brainstorming this really almost a year ago, we were like, let's just mix it up a little. Let's let's come, let's come at this from an unexpected angle. Let's talk about some of the untraditional delights and joys of Christmas, or let's just think of it in new kind of fresh ways. And so we just decided to shake it up. So obviously we can't have like a strong conversation around Christmas without talking about traditions. They just kind of go hand in hand, but to really understand why any of us are subverting these traditions, which we're talking about over the course of this whole series, doing something new, doing something different, doing something unexpected. I think we first need to go back to the history of where they came from in the first place. You know what I mean? Like why eggnog? Like why a fat man in a red suit? What's figgy pudding? Like how did any of this come from and how did we even end up here? Now, if you're a longtime listener, you know, we tend to be 
pretty female centric here on the show, but every once in a while we sneak a dude in and lucky for him. Brian Earl gets to be our guest today to talk about all things Christmas tradition. So you guys, I recently came across Brian's podcast. It's called Christmas Past, which we're going to talk about. You're going to love to hear kind of the origin story here. And essentially, it's like Christmas NPR. He is a master storyteller, a skill set he did not even know that he had. And honestly, his show in itself might be a new tradition for me because it's so like fascinating and interesting to listen to while I wrap gifts for 15 years, right? We don't have to be bored while we do it. Brian's got a lot of tons of thoughtful research, a very dynamic delivery, which you'll see. And he makes it even more fun and kind of adds this new layer of kind of magic and knowledge, understanding and wonder to the holiday season. So his show is now in its seventh season and it has a world wide audience. And it's grown to that. So we talk about that very first year and then how it began to change. Brian actually has the highest rated and most popular podcast about Christmas. All right. And so obviously we wanted to have him on in our series. So also fun fact, and I think he mentions this in our interview, actually, he generally puts up his tree on Halloween and he takes it down on Valentine's Day. I can get behind this. All right. I can so get behind this kind of enthusiasm. I don't know if you remember this, but I hired someone to decorate for me last year and it was revolutionary. I don't know if I can ever be as dedicated to the season as Brian is. I frankly don't know if anybody can, but I do have mad respect for his game. Oh, and also fun news. As his star continued to rise and his podcast continued to get more and more like delighted listeners and attention, he now has a book coming out about all the fascinating, sometimes really surprising stories behind our holiday traditions, why we should care about them and what they mean. I loved this. I could have asked him 20 billion more questions, but all this is so interesting. It's such a neat, deep dive into what we do during during Christmas and why we do it. And so I think you're going to love this, you guys. You're going to for sure love him. And you're going to for sure want to go over to his podcast, Christmas Past, and hit that subscribe button. So you guys, please enjoy my conversation with the wonderful Brian Earl of the Christmas Past Podcast. Brian, welcome so much to the For the Love podcast. Delighted to meet you. Oh, well, thank you for having me on. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. I don't know what your answers to my questions are going to be, but I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Your your niche area of expertise here is so specific. Like you've really carved out your own little path. So before we kind of get into all of this, Will you just tell my listeners, and I've already high leveled for them kind of who you are, of course, and but where you are, where do you live, who is with you, who are your people, like what's your deal, like what's your deal, and then we'll get into your awesome podcast. Okay, well, thanks. So I am... I grew up in in New England in a town called Stoughton, Massachusetts, but I moved out to Silicon Valley. Let's see, that was back in 2014 to pursue a, a career opportunity. Been out here ever since. The idea at the time was we'll stay for a year and see if we like it. If not, we can always go back to Massachusetts. But here we are now, what is it, eight, eight years later. And so we're, we've planted roots. So we finally bought a house and it looks like we're not going anywhere for a while. So it's my wife and me. And I am a, an older guy, but I have a, a two-year-old child. So uh-huh. so it's the three of us. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. Man, you've got a two-year-old running around. You are in the weeds. That's like sometimes fall asleep in your clothes at night in your bed. It is. And, you know, having a two-year-old while we're all stuck at home, he was born during the pandemic. He was born within a couple of weeks of us buying a home. And then he was born and then everyone was was stuck at home. And it's still the case now where I, I work from home. My wife works from home. We have a nanny for the kid. I made sure that they got out of the house this morning before <laughs> yeah. we started this. All of those kinds of logistics. It's just every day. And then by, you're right, by seven o'clock at night, I'm ready for bed. Oh my gosh. Okay. Brian. Let's go back to the beginning here. You're the Christmas guy. This is your deal. I would like to hear first what your Christmases were like as a kid and how that sort of impacted your fascination, not just with the holiday, but its history. Let's start there. What kind of Christmas kid were you? Sure. Well, I, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. I was born in 1974. So my childhood was pretty evenly split between the 70s and the 80s. And I consider myself very grateful for that fact. Those are two decades that I feel like produced maybe twice their fair share of popular culture. And all of that worked its way into Christmas. I mean, just even the, the nostalgic gifts that we would have gotten, the, the Rubik's Cube, the Teddy Ruxpin, you can go on YouTube and go down a rabbit hole where they have hours and hours of these nostalgic television commercials, the old Toys R Us commercials. You can watch compilations of those. I, I don't really know if any other decade since has produced a kind of nostalgic pop culture at that level when it comes to Christmas. But more than that, I grew up in a family of five. I'm one of five kids. My mom is one of six. My dad was one of five. I have lots of cousins and all of us lived within a 10-minute drive of one another. And more than that, I grew up on a cul-de-sac with a, a bunch of kids. So I was just surrounded and immersed by just lots of people my age and Christmases felt very heavily populated, I guess would be one way to, oh, to yeah. describe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, some of my my you know, fondest memories of Christmas were packing into my grandparents' very, very small house, very tiny. And it would just be sometimes just, you know, nowhere to sit, but we'd all just be packed in there and there'd be a fire and we'd be singing Christmas carols and we had this odd tradition that after we opened our presents, we would crumple up the wrapping paper and have a kind of a mock indoor snowball fight. And that oh, was just that kind of the, the grand finale of our Christmas celebrations. So, and again, all of this was in New England. And back in those days, it was not uncommon to have snow either, at least on the ground at Christmas or snow on Christmas Day itself. Things have really changed in the meantime. I, mean, I think the last time it might, uh, last time I was in New England, which was a couple of years ago, it was like in the 60s on Christmas Day. So things have shifted. But, you know, those old school New England white Christmases were very much a, a thing for me. So it, it was all of that. And then in addition was my mom who was a very, very crafty person. And a lot of our decor for Christmas were things that she made. She had a, an old school sewing table. I don't know if you know the, these ones from the 60s or 70s, where it was a table with the sewing machine inside and you would flip it up. Oh, do I? I know exactly what you're talking about. My mom had one. My grandma had them. Of course. Mm -hmm. And she also had this huge box of thread. It almost looked like a toolbox, but it would be different kinds of thread and needles. And she'd always be there making things. And uh, the Christmas stockings that we had, they were uh, all the same size and they were personalized for each of the five kids. I still have mine. It's yeah. it's uh, in a closet behind me. I put it out every year. <laughs> I tried to recreate one. Uh, when I started dating my wife, I made one for her and made one for my baby son. That So the, those are all matching. So that's a nice way that I'm trying to continue all of that. But almost 
all of our decor was stuff that she made. And so, you know, we, it exists now either it was separated among my siblings when we all went off on our own, we each took little pieces of it. And then some of it, we don't quite know where it is, but it lives on in those uh, photos that my mom took. And that was the other great thing is my mom is, was, and is kind of this great curator and archivist of our family history where she would take all these photographs on, I don't know if you remember the old Kodak Ectralight cameras, the kind you know, you'd have to snap a picture and then ratchet the film, and then you take it to the, take it to that developing place in the grocery store parking lot. Remember those kiosks? Absolutely. You know? and, and the images, they're always square. The photos were mm-hmm. square, and they had like a linen texture finish. And on the back, she would write, she would fill the entire back space, writing all these details oh, about so when great. the photo was taken mm-hmm. and all that. And so, all of our Christmases are documented in in that way. And additionally, just all of the the I don't know little archival pieces of Christmas that we have taken with us are just part of the things that I, I remember. And so one of the, one of my favorite decorations that she made was this advent calendar where she made it with like a large piece of burlap, and each date of the calendar was this little item like like a church or a bell or an angel or something that she made by hand with felt and. Every day during the Advent season, you would take a piece off of the calendar and move it up onto this Christmas tree that was at the top of the calendar. Well, anyway, I didn't get to take that with me when I moved. I got all of the the LPs, the Christmas records, those blow mold Santas that light up from inside. (laughs) My brother got the advent calendar and i've always been jealous of him for that and i said oh gosh you know i'd I'd really love for baby dashel to have something like that and so this year she she sent me one she recreated it and it's like a perfect replica and i'll get to carry on that tradition with with my son so yeah that growing up christmas it just felt very very close with a, a lot of people and a lot of people present and just this personal touch that my mom put on it that just you couldn't have bought from a store. It was stuff that she made and wanted to do every year. She made these stained glass cookies. I don't know if you're, if you've ever seen those, <laughs> the sugar cookies where you cut the middle out and you put crushed up candy, sure. you know, like lollipops, and you oven. bake those, uh-huh. melt yeah. those, put those on the Christmas tree. So the light shines through. She would also make a, a gingerbread house from this recipe that she got. I think it was out of like McCall or Woman's Day magazine and made a template for the different pieces that she cut out of a brown paper bag. And she kept though that same recipe and that same brown paper bag so that it would be consistent every year. And we decorated all together. And I think that would happen right around Thanksgiving. And the rule was we couldn't touch it until Christmas Day. And on Christmas Day, I mean, everything was stale and gross, but we didn't care. We just, you know, were on that thing. And then again, like last year, she mailed me. She kept that all those years, that template and that recipe and sent them to me so that I could have them. And I honestly don't know how where she got the the discipline to keep all of those things because as with a two-year-old now like I can't get rid of things fast enough I am constantly battling clutter she was somehow able to just you know figure out what are the things that you want to keep what's important and then just be able to you know one day 40 something years later be able to share those with me so that I could carry on the tradition that is amazing I can't believe she sent you the actual brown paper bag pieces that's just crazy. I mean, she kept up with that for almost 50 years. I feel like I have lost almost whole children, right? Like (laughs) that just feels like an impossible feat. That is okay. So I love hearing that because now I'm understanding where your Christmas sentimentality comes from. 
This was baked into your childhood. This was like your own family, like value system to really like honor and prioritize traditions and Christmas and the season and feel like it's, I'm getting, this is getting clearer for me. And so now knowing that this was the foundation that you sort of launched out of, at what point having progress through what steps in your own personal like discovery and research or whatever did you think you know what i need i need a christmas podcast i'd like to hear about the vision behind it why this even is a thing why this came to be and then what it's been like for you Sure. So what happened was this was back in September of 2015. And, you know, I'm the kind of person I I put up the Christmas tree sometimes right on Halloween, although probably not this year because baby Dasha was very climby and grabby. So we might have to change that up a bit. You know, but normally I try to extend the Christmas season as far as social norms allow. And even so, I I still get burnout, right? I don't want to have too much of a good (laughs) thing too soon. But Uh right around September is when I'm starting to think, yeah, you know, I'm getting ready for (laughs) Christmas. And I wanted to ease into it in, in kind of a low key way. I wasn't quite ready for, you know, music or movies or anything like that. And so I said, you know, I wonder if there's a good Christmas podcast. And most of the podcasts I like are, you know, NPR style ones. And what I like is that how they can have these nerdy deep dives where they can take (laughs) almost any topic, like the history of the paper cup or something, and just make it sound like, oh my God, that's the most interesting thing I've heard today. I said, I wonder if that exists for Christmas. And at the time, there were, I think, like five Christmas podcasts. There was one called The Christmas Stocking with this DJ named Lee Cameron. It's still one of the best ones out there, even though he doesn't put out new episodes. And then a couple where it was a church that put out their Christmas sermon as a podcast, and a few that were just, you know, playlist of Christmas music. There's not a lot to choose from. And so I said, well, okay, you know, this thing that I wanted didn't exist. I think I'm, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to try my hand at creating that. So it was never like, oh, hey, you know, everyone has a podcast. I'll have one too. What should it be about? Or, hey, I'd love to start a Christmas podcast. It was more like I went looking for this thing that didn't exist. And when it, when it didn't, I said, I'm going to give it a shot. And the vision was it would be what would it sound like if NPR had a Christmas podcast? Perfect and so, description. You know, most podcasts are either, you know, a long interview like the one we're doing now, or three people discussing movie, you know, that kind of round table format. But the the vision that I had was really more like I would take a Christmas topic, find the absolute top subject matter expert I could find, do an interview, and then try to produce and script it in a way that you might think that you're listening to some kind of NPR-style news piece. And so this was, I had never done anything like this before. I'm I'm a software designer. You know, I have no radio background. I have no storytelling abilities that I, that I knew of at the time. It was really just, I was going to do a bad impression of NPR uh, come, come what may. (laughs) Yeah. And so that, that first year I put out about a dozen episodes thinking, yeah, we'll see how this goes. Right. You know, it was a lot of work. So that first year I said, okay, you know, look, there are only a couple Christmas podcasts. These aren't even on people's radar. I don't even know how people are going to find me, but I'm going to throw it out there and see what happens. And the first year, I, I guess I would say I was surprised by how well it did, even though it was a modest success at best. The next year is when I, I just said, oh, oh my goodness, I just, I can't believe the response that this is getting through word of mouth. And 
and the kinds of people I was getting responses from. It was, it, and for the reasons they were reaching out, I was getting requests from museum curators to use audio of the podcast in their displays. I was getting outreach from college professors saying that they were playing my podcast in class as an example of good storytelling. So Just good. things like that, where I was like, what is going on here? And then within a couple of years, I was getting invited to speak at conferences and things like that. And all of that culminated last year where I signed a book deal. So my book is coming out this year and it's just an extension of of the podcast. That's so amazing. I'm so excited for you. I love that because you came into it simply and not with my ambition is to start here and end with a book. You know, you just started putting excellence into it. You just decided whoever and however many people were listening, you were going to make it amazing. You were going to put all your energy into it. You were not going to cut corners. You were going to craft an experience that they're going to hear. And it just, the cream like kind of rose to the top. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh I mean, this is, I'm playing for the love of the game and I don't really have any ambitions other than to just see what's next. So it was last year that the, the audience got to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm ready to graduate to, to the next thing, whatever that happens to be. Again, it was with the same way in the same way that uh, as I started the podcast, I had no expectations. I said, well, maybe a book, I don't know. I'll put together a proposal and see if anyone's interested. And then to my surprise, somebody was. And so this will be a, a, a print book and an audio book. So I narrated the audio book back in May. So I'm excited for that too. But, you know, the project has always been largely for me. It was number one, a way that I could just really deepen my appreciation for Christmas. You get to a certain age where you're like, well, what, what's next with, you know, I love Christmas, but after a while, it's the same thing every year. And like, what, what can I do to kind of expand my own little Christmas spirit palette? And then secondarily, it's a creative project. And so it's always about, well, what, what can I, how can I improve the creation? And the enjoyment really comes from the act of creation. So even if no one listened, I'd still be doing it because I love to do it. And I love that I've created something that didn't exist before. Yeah, I love it so much. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. Let's get down to brass tacks here because you have now, by virtue of the show, You have had so many fascinating conversations. You've learned so many things. You've discovered all sorts of interesting history and real life stuff wrapped around some of our traditions. So let's dive in to just a couple. I'm just going to throw it out there. Dealer's choice here. Maybe a couple of our main Christmas traditions that feel kind of ubiquitous to Americans, if you will, and what kind of the fascinating stories behind them, whatever couple you want to talk about. 
Sure. Maybe we can start with Christmas trees. Yeah, let's start there. Some, and yeah, it's the way that you frame that, that these are these ubiquitous traditions. This part of the reason I wanted to start the, the show is because, you know, you get to a certain point where you've celebrated the same Christmas your whole life. I mean, it sounds like an obvious thing to say, but if you celebrate Christmas, you, you've probably always celebrated it. And so these things that we do that are just very odd feel really normal to us just because right, like always put a tree inside our every house? year, put a tree in the living room. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Right. But, but why? Right. And two of the most common themes that come up in the show, like in, in a lot of the traditions, number one is that there's just a very interesting story behind it. And number two, it's probably newer than you think. You know, Christmas has its roots in this 2000 plus year old religious story. It's filled with all kinds of ancient traditions, but about at least half and probably more than half of the way that you experience Christmas was created in the last several decades. I mean, and part of that's obvious when you think about, you know, the, the Christmas, the classic Christmas music of the 40s. I mean, that was all written when my mom was growing up. But the, a great deal of the remainder isn't much older than that. And so you think about the Christmas tree. OK, that must have come from and your favorite Internet know-it-all will tell you, well, that's actually a pagan tradition. Well, I mean, sort of. It does have its roots in pre-Christian practices of what's called tree veneration, where trees were believed to have a spirit in them. So the oak tree had Thor. It, it was associated with the god Thor. And it was even not uncommon to have ritualistic sacrifices to the god Thor near uh, an oak tree in the village. And so around the time of the Protestant Reformation, you had these missions going through Europe to convert the heathens, if you like. And there was one named St. Boniface who came to this region in Germany. And the, the legend goes, and it's almost certainly is only a legend, that he happened upon this village that was about to do one of these ritualistic sacrifices. And as the, you know, the, the hammer came up to create, to, to do the sacrifice, he stopped it in mid-action, chopped down the tree, said, okay, take that tree and use it to build a chapel of some kind. And then behind it was standing a fir tree. And he's like, there, that that's, that's your new tree. Now that you've converted to Christianity, use that fir tree. Whatever the real story is, the the, the origin of the Christmas tree is probably that it, it's a pre-Christian tradition that as Christianity went, traveled through Europe, it just kind of stuck. People just didn't get rid of it. Even so, up until very recently, I mean, like the 19th century, there were a million different Christmases. It was very regionalized. And you have to imagine there was no mass communication. There was no mass media, you know, no way to really communicate what people were doing in other, in other parts. So the Christmas tree was really a localized German tradition that got brought to America with German immigrants. And right around the same time, it's about 1850, was popularized by Queen Victoria. Her husband, Prince Albert, was German, and that was a tradition that he brought to um, to England. Some of the British royalty were using Christmas trees before, but it didn't catch on because the royal family wasn't really popular until Queen Victoria's time. And then this was also around the time where there was a print media explosion in the 19th century. And so this very famous image of, of Queen Victoria and her family in front of a Christmas tree was published in Godey's Women's Magazine, I believe again in 1848. And then it became the must-have Christmas accessory. But we didn't start seeing Christmas trees in American homes until about the 1870s. And that's, again, started seeing them. It didn't really become very common until several decades after that. And part of the reason is, again, you know, information and trends were a lot slower moving back in those days. And if you had one, it's probably because you went into the woods and cut it down. They weren't a commercial crop yet. 
that really didn't begin until around the beginning of the 20th century. And we see the first commercial Christmas tree lots in New York City and elsewhere. So again, the, this idea of the Christmas tree, you think, what could be more natural and ancient a tradition as that? But really, your great-grandparents, depending on how old you are, it, it started in their time. It's really new. It's very, very new as far mm. as those things go. I love hearing that. Because it right exactly we feel like we could trace these traditions back to like the first century and we cannot. What's another tradition that's relatively new on the global scene that we may be thought were older? Let's see. I think a lot of the foods that we eat, for example, mince pie, contains mince meat, which you might notice doesn't actually have any meat. Well, it used to, of course. And that's something that I think around the 19th century, it get phased out. Part of what it used to contain is alcohol and preserved fruit. That was a way of, of kind of uh, preserving the food. And then eventually the meat got taken out and it just became fruit pie. So a lot of things have their roots in older traditions that eventually they they change. And that's the other big theme that comes out of out of my podcast is that Christmas is constantly changing. So the set of traditions that we celebrate, it's not a complete collection and it's not the final collection. So again, like Christmas for your great great grandparents was very different from what we celebrate. They would take a look at our celebration and sort of recognize it as Christmas, but not really. And we also have to assume that that trend is only going to continue, that five generations from now, Christmas will only vaguely resemble what we're used to. And so it's kind of fun to think about, well, what changes are we living through right now? Hmm. You know, what do you think? Because, because What's we your guess? Are. Well, I'll, I'll back up a little bit and say part of the changes that we get are things like are obvious things, right? When a new movie becomes a Christmas classic and gets entered into the Christmas culture. Then there are the less obvious things. So in the 19th century, when rail travel became common, Christmas changed instantly. There was no other way to, to travel long distances. So Christmas wasn't really a holiday for homecomings. It wasn't a, a holiday for family reunions. It, it just wasn't because it couldn't be. But all of a sudden, it gets rebranded. If you moved away from home to go get a job in the city, now you could come home. It revolutionized transportation where if you lived in the city, you could have goods shipped in and have a big Christmas celebration so more people could celebrate. And then, of course, also, this is a time during of, of increasing industrialization. More goods are being factory made and sold in stores. And all of a sudden, because of all of these advances in transportation and industrialization, Christmas becomes a very, very different thing. Now think of what we're living through right now in the last 20 years, how you don't even have to go to the store to shop anymore. Online shopping dramatically changed how we think about Christmas. Totally think about true. In the last couple of years, you know, telepresence has been around. Skype's about 20 years old at this point, I think. But the pandemic was the tipping point where all of a sudden it became normalized and just heavily socialized that, you know, if someone's not around, then, you know, Skyping or whatever, Zooming with that person on Christmas is acceptable. It's going to become part of how we celebrate. And you have to imagine the same was true, you know, with the telephone or when that came out. All of a sudden now you can you can talk to people on Christmas that you couldn't talk to before. So I think that one area, the, the technology of online shopping and of telepresence, is really changing the way that we think about Christmas. I think also 
in the last couple of years, we're noticing people calling out uh, old song lyrics like "Baby, It's Cold Outside," saying, "Oh, that's oh, not really not really quite aligned with with modern <laughs> attitudes." So I think we see those little kinds of changes too. I really think that as we become, you know, a lot more of a of an open, accepting, and diverse kind of society, or a society that places special value on on all of that stuff, we're going to see more of that. Yeah, good point. And then, we can think of, well, what are some new traditions? And let me back up there and just say, you know, new tradition is obviously a contradiction in terms because uh, yeah. it's yeah, literally yeah. something passed down from one generation to another. Sure. There's no such thing. But something like the Elf on the Shelf. Oh, I know good, it, it's good a, example. Mm-hmm. It's a consumer product. And so it's hard to think of a tradition being born out of this one family's product. But we're at a point now where you know, you have people who are old enough now to start having kids of their own who grew up with this, never knew a Christmas without it, and are going to pass it down to to their kids. And so either that specific product or ones like it, I, I think, are, are now part of Christmas culture. Yeah, great example. I mean, you're so right. I'm thinking about how I used to shop for Christmas even 10 years ago. I mean, that's a second ago, one decade ago. I'd have to carve out a big chunk of physical time to be in stores, go actual, get in my car, fight the crowds, look for deals, know who had what. It was just a really complex sort of system of shopping. I did not enter a single store last year, not one. I stocked the entire Christmas under the tree online. And that that's just in 10 years. In 10 years, it's completely changed the way that we shop, the way that we spend money, and even how much money we spend. Of course, we are watching those numbers just climb and climb the easier it gets. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Let me ask you this, because this is fun. What is one of the most absurd traditions that you have come across, and where did it originate? Okay. Well, back to this idea that Christmas is constantly evolving, right? So the we can thank our lucky stars that a lot of traditions just aren't around anymore. They were either phased out or or never made it over to America. And one of them is from Wales, and it's called either holming, H-O-L-M-I-N-G, or holly thrashing, which is the more descriptive term. And it is exactly what it sounds like, where on Christmas morning, the last person to wake up would get thrashed with holly by everybody else. And if you've ever seen like a live holly bush, oh, they're, they're, pieces. they are very spiky. So that's not a pleasant thing. And I think what it was also, world? and I'm not sure where it came from. Uh, oh and it was gosh. also something that I think uh, young men would go and thrash women who are walking around in the street, uh, apparently some okay. kind of worship ritual. We don't see a lot of that anymore. <laughs> that's good. But, that's good. But also, you know, Christmases of long, long ago were filled with all kinds of superstitious rituals and Mm. monsters and threats of child abuse and all kinds of things like that, that, you know, we've gradually phased out. And so another way that Christmas is always changing, this idea that it's completely benign and cozy and magical, that's new. That's really new. And we can be grateful for that. Okay. That's weird and disturbing. And I'll tell you what, I would be the first awake if that was if holly thrashing was in my cultural vernacular i would never i'd never go to sleep i was meant to never be the last one to be thrashed cuz i up until I, I was probably out of college and we'd go home still for christmas first one up i mean the sun is nowhere near the horizon it is 5am i'm waking up my siblings my parents so i'd have been safe in that horrible wales tradition yeah, I think I'm the same. I was always the first one up. 
Oh, couldn't sleep the night before. Still excited for Christmas morning. I love it. What's your personal favorite holiday tradition? Why do you love it? Really good question. Because for me, it, it was the ones that my mom did. And so, you know, the ginger decorating the gingerbread house or decorating the tree. It's it's all changes once you have a child, because then as you start to practice them, not only does it, it feel nice to continue these traditions, but it's also now you're on the flip side. Now you're the one responsible for making it happen rather than partaking in it. I should say once since I moved out to the Bay Area, one of my favorite traditions has become going to this thing we have out here called the Great Dickens Christmas Fair. And if you can imagine a Renaissance festival, but for Christmas during Victorian times, you get the idea. And as a matter of fact, uh, the same family that began the Renaissance festivals is behind this one as well. And everyone dresses up in Victorian garb and things like that and walks around with fake British accents. And it's really, <laughs> really a lot of fun. And they've had to scale it back the last couple of years because of the pandemic. But I think this year they're going to be starting it again. So that's definitely one of my favorites. And then making Christmas cookies. My mom had one of those old-fashioned cookie presses that you make spritz cookies with. And I scored myself one of those this year. So me and Baby Dash are going to be making some some Christmas cookies together. <laughs> I love it. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. My memories of being in the kitchen with the sugar and the flour and the butter and the cookie cutters is just, and I can't even count how many. I'm curious because you spend so much time and energy just thinking about Christmas, thinking about traditions and the arc of them over the course of history and how they continue to change. You know, in some ways, of course, which we understand, traditions invite us in to the store. We want to continue them. That is something we go, oh, I'm 100% going to do this when I have kids, and I hope they'll do it with their kids. And it's something about that thread through the generations is it's nostalgic and it's sentimental. And at the same time, sometimes traditions press a button in us that makes us want to flip the script. We, we want to do something different. We want to change it up. We want to add something new or change something about it. What's your take on this? What's your... How, how do traditions like land for you and what it is, what is it about them that sometimes inspires us to keep it, keep it, keep it, keep it, and sometimes inspires us to flip it? Yeah. And I think when it comes to Christmas traditions, we're talking about annual traditions, right? These are different from other kinds where they're very, very much in your consciousness for a few weeks out of the year, then you kind of forget about them. And that's really the power of them is that when you return to them, it's it's kind of like putting on that comfortable sweater that you just instantly feel cozy and warm. And like you said, it, it creates all of a sudden all the, the memories that go with it come back and that whoever else is, is alive will talk about how they celebrated it with the people who are maybe no longer with you. So it, it does create this continuation of a narrative. And then I think to answer your question is, well, why do we want to flip the script sometimes? It's because we're continuing the narrative. Every year we write the next chapter in the story of Christmas. And I mean that on the small scale, you write the next chapter in your family's Christmas, but then collectively, like for the reasons we were just talking about before with changing our behaviors and just, you know, what, what kinds of things we want as a, as a culture for Christmas, we write the next chapter collectively as the larger Christmas celebrating community. And so sometimes it happens in ways large or small. Like I think when I make Christmas cookies with Baby Dash this year, almost certainly he'll he'll want to do something or put a certain kind of sprinkles on them. Or, and then that'll just become part of the way we make Christmas cookies. Other times you just want to do something completely different. And one example of that is when I was living in Massachusetts, 
back in the early 2000s, my wife's family lived in New York. And what we would have to do is bounce back and forth every Christmas, one Christmas in Boston, one Christmas in New York, one Christmas we even did Christmas morning in Boston and then went to New York. And after a while, we said, you know what? Why don't we just do our own thing one year? And we went and did Christmas in the Bahamas. And oh, you really clicked it. And we rode horses on the beach on Christmas morning, and we celebrated this Bahamian tradition called Junkanoo, which is kind of a Boxing Day celebration, kind of a combination of Christmas and Mardi Gras with this big outdoor festival. And it's not the kind of thing I do every year, for sure, but I'm glad I got to do it that once. I'll never forget it. I love that. And that's, I like how you say it doesn't mean it's forever that we do something new that can we can never return to the old we spent one year we got on a plane with all of our bags on christmas eve and went to hawaii same kind of idea like let's just flip it let's just do something kind of wild something different something new and it's the only time we've done it but it was so it was so wonderful and so i love the idea that we can change tradition even for one year even if it's just annually okay and then i'm curious how does your wife do with all this Christmas stuff? Like, is she sometimes like, Brian, it's enough. Like, I just, it's just enough. It's enough Christmas. It's October. Like, I don't even have a Halloween costume for Baby Dash. It. Like, just calm down. <laughs> well, and that's why I started the podcast, because I was looking for like a low-key way to celebrate my Christmas spirit throughout the year. And again, now that Baby Dash is here, we probably won't be putting up the Christmas tree on on Halloween. I would often take it down on Valentine's Day. I think we've we've kind I of scaled that. that back a little bit too. So it's it's not quite as bad as it used to be. But there were those moments where it's like, okay, Brian, uh, you know, one just for one night, can we not watch another Hallmark Channel <laughs> movie? Can we can we watch something else instead? Can we not during the Christmas season? Anything in my community that's going on, any Christmas thing, we're always running around to it, and she gets a little tired because she. She loves Christmas too, but very few people love it as much as I do. Uh, totally. I hope that you in your podcast world have run across the Deck the Hallmark guys. They're just oh, sure. hilarious. Uh, yep. Just absolutely hilarious. I have had them on the last two years. They just crack me up. I mean, it's all Christmas movies all the time, which I put on in October. Generally, I know the date that it starts. I think last year, Christmas movies started about like October 25th. I was queued up, ready to go. That's it. We're on a loop. They're all the same. Essentially, they're they're virtually all the same movie. And I don't care. I don't get tired of them. I don't I don't care how kitschy they are. We do a party every year. I'm with you. Are you real tree or fake tree? I go back and forth. So if I do a real tree, I, I prefer a blue spruce to the, the fir tree. I just really like, I mean, they're sturdier and I think they look better. They smell better. We've done artificial trees the last several years, I think, just because it's a lot more convenient and you can just fold it up and put it away for the year. Yeah, totally. Same. I've, I go back and forth. Are you, the tree is sort of decorated thematically, like in a color scheme and it looks pretty, or are you like, it's family stuff, it's old timey ornaments and whatever? It is absolutely a combination of the two of those. Yeah, okay. We oftentimes, when we travel, we try to get a Christmas ornament for every place that we go. But now we're at a point where we would have to have a separate tree for all of those kinds of things. So every year, it's kind of, we take a look at everything that we have and we say, okay, this can stay, this can go. Unfortunately, a few years ago, when we still had a dog, she ate a bunch of old Christmas ornaments off the bottom of the tree. And oh, while she was alive, no. every year after that, we could only de decorate the the upper two thirds of the tree for fear that she would eat them. So she chewed up a lot of these old nostalgic ornaments that I have. And I, I, there are some that I have, but I just won't, I'll, they'll stay boxed up basically forever because they're just, you know, irreplaceable and sentimental. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, every year is different. Mm-hmm. That's what I have too. When we moved out of the house, my mom boxed up we, and we got an ornament every single year. And I've done that for my kids too. That was a repeat tradition in our family. And we ride on it. We know the year, we know the thing. So we got a box of all of our ornaments from every year of our childhood and adolescence. And I, for some reason that doesn't make sense, I still have mine in the same box she gave me, which was an old Atari box. It's cardboard. It's trash. I mean, I put it inside a good box for storage, but I'm like, it belongs in the Atari box. So every time I bring out like a 1974 ornament, I'm like, it's precious. I'm overly sentimental about them. My kids know it. I've made them that way. And so the unboxing of everyone's ornaments and everybody has their own box and they get to put their own ornaments on the tree is a deal. It is an ordeal. And we ooh and all like it's the first time we've ever seen them every year, year after year. And I put my tree up in October last year and I'm not embarrassed and I'm going to do it again. And so I love your love for Christmas. I love your podcast. I like how much time and energy and interest you add to something that's so special to so many of us. I have one last question for you. Sure. I ask everybody this, all my guests, whatever we're talking about. And you can answer this however you want. It can be like sentimental and precious, or it can be absurd. And we get it all. So the question is, what is saving your life right now? As weird as it sounds, it is having a two-year-old who drives me bonkers. (laughs) Like I said, I'm 48 now. He was born when I was 46. And I have no other frame of reference for what having a two-year-old is like. I don't know what it's like to have a two-year-old at 30 like most people do. And, you know, I went through a period of being nervous. You know, I'm going to be 60 with a kid in high school. I'm going to be, you know, very firmly planted in middle age with this kid running around and driving us bonkers (laughs) and refusing to eat, you know, making a mess and all of that. But (laughs) I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, I just, I can't imagine a life without it. I look forward to waking up. I go go in and see him in the morning. And the, the first thing he does when he sees me is smiles. And it's it's just like, you know, it, it every parent experiences this. And I it's the kind of thing you can't imagine until you become one. But it almost like unlocks emotions in you that you didn't even know that you were capable of experiencing. It really just kind of turns you into a different kind of person. So there are some times where I just look at him And I'm overwhelmed with this feeling of love that it's almost like my body can't contain it all. I almost feel (laughs) like literally feel like I'm going to like burst or explode or or something like that. (laughs) And, you know, it it came a little later in life than it does for other people. But in a strange way, even though it's running me ragged, it's, it's keeping me young and it's keeping me sane, keeping things in perspective and just really adding a lot more structure to my life in in a way that, you know, you, you kind of you have to pick and choose, you know, the, the things you're going to do and the energy that you're going to expend kind of how to have a podcast with a two-year-old, but <laughs> I think it's all, it's all part of one complete picture. So that's, that's what's right. keeping me saying. I love that answer. I too don't listen to what everybody says. Yes. Two can be hard and yes, you're busy, but two is magic. And I can't wait for you to have Christmas with Dash this year. I remember two-year-old Christmas. It's different than one-year-old, they're, they're getting it. They're getting it. And it is wonder. And it is so dreamy. So I think you're going to love this Christmas with your little family and it'll be new every year as he gets older and you get to experience it in a new, fresh way every year as a parent, because it's different. Now you're the creator of the 
traditions and it's so special. And, uh, and, you know, my kids are all big and they're still just like absolutely dialed into our tradition. Like, when do we do this? When's movie night? When's tree decorating? I mean, the whole thing, it holds. And so thank you for coming on the show today. I have a million other questions for you, but here's the good news. Everybody can go to your podcast and they can listen to their little heart's content. Can you just tell everybody before you sign off here where to find you on socials, your podcast, all the things, and your book? Oh, sure. So the book is available for pre-order now at your favorite online bookseller. So Brian Earl, Christmas Past, the fascinating stories behind our favorite holidays traditions. Easiest way to find me is christmaspastpodcast.com. That has links to all my socials. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, of course, wherever you find your podcasts. That's perfect. So we'll come to you with our Christmas questions or our software developing questions. Either we way, do. you're the guy. <laughs> you're the guy. Brian, so great to meet you. Thanks for being you on too. today. Well, thanks for inviting me. All right, you guys. <laughs> So great. I love it when people just, they figure out their own little niche and they just drill down. I love that. Love, 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 love. I love getting behind what somebody else loves, what they what they are fascinated about, specifically how they turn it into a really kicking side gig or even their whole job. Like nothing makes me more excited than that. I just love passion. And so I was delighted to talk to Brian. If you want a one-stop shop, you can go to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab. We'll have it all there. The show, the link, the show notes, all the links to Brian's stuff, pre-orders book, all the goodies. If you would like to hear more, because this is a, this would be a really fun thing to kind of put in rotation during the season, his podcast, just hit play, learn something new, have a fascinating, so listen into his discussions and just a kind of a neat way to, to build capacity around a season that we already love more to come in the non-traditions tradition series that we hope you're going to love. We sure love them. We love these conversations. We love putting them together. We love this actually, this whole series really. So thanks for being such fantastic listeners. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, go do it. It takes you, I guess, 20 seconds to subscribe. And then our little show just shows up on your phone every single week. You can just listen, never miss a single episode. It's so great to have you as subscribers. We also love, thanks for reviewing and rating the podcast all the time. Thanks for your feedback. We listen to every word you say. We read all your comments. You're the best listening community. We we just couldn't have ever dreamed up a better one. So on behalf of Laura and her podcast crew and Amanda and I, we love you. We love serving you. We love this series and we'll see you next week.